The end of a long Democratic primary no one expected to go on as long as it did. A Democratic establishment reeling from an insurgency that blew up its best laid plans, and a group of impassioned supporters who refused to back a Democratic nominee no matter what. Uh, Clinton's for McCain. Well, we're with the coalition called Just Say No Deal. We're, we have about three million people who are Hillary supporters who didn't like how the democratic process played out during the primaries. And this is our way of protesting. We feel like our party's got lost and we want our party back. That's what it sounded like in the summer of 2008 when Pumas, hardcore Hillary Clinton supporters who grouped under an acronym for Party Unity My Ass were despondent over Barack Obama's victory in the Democratic primary. They called the election over in Iowa, okay? And Chris Matthews got tingles going up his legs. Well, I got to tell you what, I got tingles going up my legs when somebody tells me I got my right to vote. And nobody's going to ask me who I'm going to vote for instead because I'll close the curtain and I'll vote my conscience. Thank you for listening. The most famous Puma was top Clinton donor Lady Lynn Forrester de Rothschild. She refused to endorse the nominee and signed on with his Republican opponent, John McCain, instead. If bitter is the easiest way for you to rationalize that I truly, with all my heart, believe that John McCain will be a great president, then call me bitter. So the Pumas really were a thing. Or at least they really were a thing in the political press. For weeks, there were stories about them and what their continued opposition to Obama might mean for Democrats in the general election. But in the end... The fear of Pumas turned out to be completely misplaced. Obama won handily in 2008 with the help of an overwhelming number of Democratic voters. The party that looked irreparably split in June was wholly united in November. Welcome to No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm your host, Evan McMorris-Santoro. Today, the end of another contentious Democratic primary and a fresh round of speculation that a lasting Democratic split could be a part of the race until November. Now that the voting's nearly all done, what do we know about Democrats in 2016? We'll talk about it with Ruby Kramer, BuzzFeed News reporter who has covered the Democratic primary since day one. And we'll hear from Javier Becerra, a Democratic member of Congress from Los Angeles who votes like Bernie but stands with Hillary. And we'll hear a lot from voters. I spent the week in California interviewing Democrats and some Republicans at Hillary Clinton rallies and Bernie Sanders rallies across the state. I asked them whether they think the party comes back together or not. Ruby Kramer, welcome to No One Knows Anything. Thank you. The Democratic primary, it's it's over, right? It's over. It's over. It's over. Hillary Clinton has now won the most votes, the most states, the most delegates. And with this AP thing, uh, the Associated Press called up a bunch of these superdelegates who are, of course, the Democratic officials and people like that who can vote however they want for nomination. Uh, she has enough of those to get the nomination. Right. So she's it's done. She's got it all. She's a nominee. At this point. She's called herself the presumptive nominee. The president's called her the presumptive nominee. Everyone calls her the presumptive nominee now. It's a technical term. She is the presumptive nominee. Right. Um, and what happens now, I'm not sure. But it's it's over. That it's over. Well, I spent the week in California, as you did much, uh, much of it, too. And I spent the week talking to voters at Clinton rallies and Sanders rallies. 
as we said earlier, Clinton did really crush Sanders, but a lot of Sanders supporters thought that he would win. So it made for some interesting conversation. Like with this guy, Rick Wathen, who went to a Bernie Sanders rally last week with his whole family. Huge Bernie fan. Yeah, my entire family. In fact, today we voted, and uh, all four of us, we have two daughters, my wife here, Raina, and uh, we're just uh, big fans. Well, I asked this guy if the Bernie-Hillary divide would be a permanent rift in the Democratic Party. No, I mean, listen, I think uh, there's some of us that will, no matter what, right, and we're, we're blue no matter who, and we're going we're gonna to vote the nominee. Um, uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of disenfranchised younger voters, especially out here. I mean, I think majority of Bernie fans are, you know, those, uh, those millennial voters, and uh, they may be a little disenfranchised, which I think would be unfortunate. I talked to one of those millennials, Jonathan Gow, and he told me he might vote for a Green Party candidate, Jill Stein, in November. Do you worry that a vote for a Green Party candidate would essentially be a vote for Trump? Uh, no, I don't. Because at that point, I, I think it's not really my fault at that point, you know. I, if it does end up being Trump, then I think he'll, that'll st- probably strengthen the oppos- opposition party, if anything. So. so it's possible Trump could actually be good for the left then, in a way? In a very roundabout way. And... It's, it hurts to say that, but maybe it might be. This is sort of the big fear of a lot of people who talk about this idea of this split remaining forever and how it might damage the Democratic Party is that they're worried there might be a lot of Jonathan Gals. But there are also a lot of millennials who don't feel that way. Uh, there's Rachel Heiss, who is feeling the burn in a way that I just completely loved. There's different people uh, to different extremes feeling the heat. It's like, it's like the capsaicin scale for peppers. It's like some people are like a ghost pepper, other are like, you know, a habanero, and others are a uh, bell pepper. So where are you? Are you a ghost pepper? Um, I don't know. I think I'm more in the middle. I, I definitely, oh, some of the things, I'm up there on ghost pepper scale, and uh, other things, I'm like, all right, all right, I'm habanero, you know? So what do you do in November if it's Hillary versus Trump? Hillary. Wow, she had to think about that, though. She's not stoked. That was like a sigh. Yeah, she's not thrilled. I could hear it. Yeah. If she was, like, cooling off from the pepper. That capsaicin score thing, I have written about Bernie Sanders for almost a year now, and how did I never think of that? It's the best thing I've ever heard. We need to bring Hillary into this somehow, because, as you know, she's the biggest pepper fan on the planet. That's right. Hillary Clinton carries uh, hot sauce in her bag and eats jalapenos. Yeah, she was in a she says she like, calls them jalapenos burger place in California over the weekend, and she saw on the wall a picture of one of the food items on the menu and had like a pepper in the photo. Like, was not the main. And she points. She goes, "Oh, peppers close to my heart." <laughs> like anyway, <laughs> um, so did, did she order the thing with the pepper in it? No, she didn't. She pointed at it. So close she to pointed my, at it close to it. my heart. It was, she was making small talk. I don't know. No, I think she's making the, this is what she does. She, 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 there are things that she desperately wants, but she knows she has to make the decision that is, you know, maybe more something that can, you know, get something accomplished. She could achieve that other order. Right. She ordered the house special burger. Right. The, the popular choice. Right. Achievable. Yep. So good metaphors all around here.
so that was sort of like the take that I, I think that encapsulated pretty well, those interviews encapsulated pretty well what I found on the trail at a lot of Bernie rallies, which was older people who were, for the most part, saying, look, we want it to be Bernie. We really like Bernie. Maybe we're actually, we actually really maybe even don't like Hillary, but we're going to vote for Hillary in November. But we're really worried that all these younger voters that Bernie's brought into the process aren't going to. And then finding younger voters who were not actually going to vote for Hillary, or at least say now they're not going to. But you don't see that on the other side. It's not like you see a lot of vitriol direct. I mean, I guess you do directed towards Bernie, especially now that it's gotten so. Yeah, it's it's come so far. And like, we're still we're still here. <laughs> it's not over. <laughs> well, and a lot of it is this worry, I think, that maybe this might not last. So if you look at just these Bernie rallies, you're looking at a picture of a Democratic Party that, that's pretty divided at least among voters who expected to see that close race in California. But, you know, the question is how divided really are things and what is the future of the party now? I think I found the perfect guy to talk to about this when I was in California. Representative Javier Becerra has been a member of Congress since 1992, the year the Clintons moved to Washington. He represents a scrappy district in Los Angeles and is one of the most progressive members of Congress. He votes like Bernie Sanders but Becerra is also a card-carrying member of the Democratic Party establishment. He's the chair of the House Democratic Caucus, which makes him the fourth highest ranking member of his party in the House of Representatives. That means he's like in charge of making things happen among Democrats and among moderate Democrats and conservative Democrats and liberal Democrats. So he knows a lot about how Democratic Party works, but he's also extremely liberal. So I sat down with Becerra in his hometown of Sacramento, and we talked about progressivism, Clinton, Sanders, and how the party comes back together. Thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming uh, out to talk to us. And it's lovely to talk to you here in Sacramento, um, which is where you grew up, right? Born and raised. It's your hometown. Hometown. Is it a lot different now than when you grew up here? Well, I just came from my my folks' home where I had a phenomenal breakfast. So, no, it's not much different from when I was here. But when I look at the rest of the city, yes, it's very different from when I was here. Uh, It's much more cosmopolitan. Yeah. But it still has that grassroots kind of feel. One of the reasons why it's really great to talk to you and I'm really happy to have you on the show is we are talking just a couple, just a day before the California primaries will bring to the end uh, the kind of the biggest part of the voting phase of the Democratic primary and really probably mostly the Democratic primary period and, and probably install Hillary Clinton as the nominee who you endorse. But you're a fast, you're an interesting person to talk to for this because you're a very strong progressive. You have a very strong progressive record, and yet you are also a leader of a Democratic Party in the House, right? You're the Democratic Caucus chair, which which puts you right in the leadership of the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Yeah. This primary has really been about Bernie Sanders and a lot of progressives saying progressives can't go along with the mainstream Democratic Party. They can't accomplish things with the mainstream Democratic Party. They need to go a different way. They need to go a different, separate direction and do something different. Uh, and then people like Hillary Clinton saying, no, progressive ideals can be achieved through the Democratic Party and achieved through the way the party works now. You are right in the middle of that because you're a person who has to wrangle uh, members of Congress from all different kinds of stripes. I mean, all Democrats, obviously, but also you are a strong progressive. Make the case why it is that you think being a Democrat, a mainstream Democrat, why is that the way to go? So I, I, I think everything you said, I, I, I'm probably nodding my head in affirmative with everything you've said. But there was one word that I think is the operative word in everything you just said, achieve. We can dream all we want. I can have as progressive uh, uh, a platform as a uh, Democrat as I want. Uh, I'm a single pair guy, just the way Bernie Sanders is. 
I fought till the bitter end for the public option. Right. The great healthcare fight. Yep. Yep. The public option fight was obviously the fight uh, where um, a lot of progressives wanted a government-run insur- essentially a government-run insurance company. Medicare. Right. And and then and and that would be, you know it'd be an, another option that people who didn't want to be in private insurers could go with, be a part of that. But you get to the point where you weren't able to get it. Right. Just because of the way the Senate worked and everything like that. But you think that the it, this is really fascinating to me because this is really the heart. I mean, I've been on the road talking to people so much. This is really the heart of this primary, because in the end, you were proud to cast that vote for the Senate bill. Absolutely. You were proud to cast that vote for that of, of affordable care. You even didn't yes. have that thing that you wanted in it. Absolutely. It's a, it's it was a bill that clearly did not have everything that the House bill had. It's a bill that we knew would need to be tinkered with to continue to improve it. And I, I had to make a decision. But at the end of the day. We got it done. Do you feel like maybe there's a certain segment of the left right now, of the progressive movement right now, that is not as interested in getting things done? No, no, no. I, I, look, I, I, I can just talk to you about my daughters, yeah. who I, I love because they are as progressive as you can get. And I love it. I love it. Are they Bernie supporters? Uh, they're looking very closely at both. But here's, a, here's what I tell them. Look. At the end of the day, you get to dream all this stuff. And because you grew up with parents who were professionals, who my I made, my wife and I make in one year what it took my parents probably 15 years to make. So it's just a different world, right? right. So they can dream because for them, dreams oftentimes become reality. Right. When I was a kid, I never had a pair of Levi's jeans. I never got a pair of Converse. My first bike was my friend's old discarded bike because he got a new one. And I, my dad bought it for 10 bucks. Uh, for us, for that that level of Americans, the aspiring Americans want to be middle class. A dream is only a dream. Mm-hmm. People who are progressives who can dream because they lived a decent life and the dreams can become a reality without much effort. Those are the progressives that I think have to recognize you got to wake up. The progressives that I think are going to be fervently first Hillary Clinton come November are the progressives like my parents and me who understand that you got to dream. But at the end of the day, man, dreams don't put food on the table. Do you also feel, though, that Hillary is uh, or Secretary Clinton has evolved herself? I mean, we're, we're in an no era doubt. where a lot of people have changed. I mean, so you're I mean, because one of the big issues, right, that gets talked about with Bernie all the time. Bernie talks about the Iraq war vote, Doma vote. You are a person that just like Bernie Sanders didn't vote with Secretary Clinton on the Iraq war, didn't vote with Secretary Clinton on the Doma. Or, or, she didn't vote for Doma, but she stood in support of it and you voted against it. Yes. These are things that to Bernie Sanders fans, that's this is like how to define her as a sellout. How do you square those two things? Yeah, I, I think she's evolved, as you said before, and you're entitled to evolve. Most Democrats voted for DOMA. Most Democrats well, it was pretty split on uh, on the Iraq war. I don't condemn those Democrats because a lot of good Democrats. We can evolve. To me, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm a proud Democrat, but I was born American and I was born with brown skin. I'm never going to change the latter two. I can always change the first one. Uh, But I'm still very proud to be a Democrat. The moment my party starts to veer too far from the principles I believe in, I'll leave. But what I do believe about Secretary Clinton, she's a quick learner. She's a smart person. And I believe as you hear her on the stump today, she speaks from the heart about what she wants to do. There is no one who can deny that Hillary Clinton probably will be the strongest president we've ever had for children. And for me... For a kid who had never seen college, who had a father who went to the sixth grade, who had a mother who didn't come to this country till she was 18, man, someone who cares about kids, gold with me. And you've been in politics for a long time, and you do work in uh, your and you do, you do represent Los Angeles, a, pl- a very boisterous political place, right? I mean, yeah. it's one of those bo- very boisterous political places. Put this 
era of, Demo- of the Democratic Party in perspective for me because, uh, you know, I, I'm on the road. I talk to a lot of young people. It's their first time voting, right? And they're looking at this party right now and they're thinking, how is this? This is crazy. It's never going to – is this, you know, the most divided you've ever seen it? Is this not the – I mean, give me some – just give me some perspective on where the party is right now in terms oh, of this. Oh, no, no. This is – we are nowhere near being divided uh, as – say the Republicans are, or as Democrats have been, say 68, uh, say 1980. Uh, no, no, no. What we are is, you know what I what I love so much, and maybe some of my Democratic colleagues aren't as, uh, as joyous about this, we're seeing our progressive element come to the surface. Amen. Amen. And I want to see a fighting force of progressives who won't back down uh, because someone in the party says, hey, you got to sort of snuff out that progressivism because it may cost us some votes on the right. No, no, no. Be who you are. Bernie's, you know, Bernie Sanders, give him a great deal of credit. He is showing you on his sleeve, as he has for the last 40 years, who he is. That's okay. Uh, I, the only problem I have with Bernie Sanders is I don't believe he's being quite honest with the American people about what he himself as president can accomplish. Otherwise, over the last 40 years, he would have done a few more things. Also, you criticize about immigration, though, too, right? That's why. That's why, right. The 2007 vote, uh, the last time immigration reform, Conference of Immigration Reform really had its sort of big moment was 2007. Last year, the Bush administration, Bernie famously voted against that bill. Right. And and it wasn't perfect. Let me tell you, I, I, I had real problems with it. But we had to need we, we needed to see it move. So on the House side where we had the Democratic majority, we could make improvements. And then in conference, we could come out with a better bill to kill it as it was meant we were going nowhere. And that's, again, you're letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, and I'm, you were just talking about committees and, 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 and conference committees and making things change. I mean, the, do you feel like there is an element of the left these days? Because you clearly love the way that politics can make things actually happen. I mean, yes. you're, I mean you're, you're describing the mechanics of it in a way and people can't see it, but your face is like, lit, I mean, you're lit up. You're into it, okay? <laughs> this is really nerdy stuff, Congressman, and you're really into it. Do you feel like there's an element of the left that is the sort of mechanics of politics, the sort of the part where it's a grind and you end with maybe half a loaf or a quarter of a loaf, does, do some progressive just not understand that process now? What I'd say to you is what I used to tell to environmentalists as they would bemoan the fact that too many minorities were not pro- uh, environmentalists. And I'd say to them, this was about 20 years ago, uh, I have kids in L.A., maybe 18 miles from the uh, beach. I have kids in junior high who've never gone to the beach. That's the difference. You're going to fight for things as progressives that folks in America just don't care about because it's not part of their lives. Do do uh, Latinos and people of color care about clean beaches and water? Absolutely. But the problem is they never get to go to those beaches. So if it's going to be a dirty beach, you know what? It doesn't enter into their lives. We've got to talk reality. And the progressives I will fight for are the progressives who will help Manuel Becerra, who had a sixth grade education, send his future children to college. Because guess what? When you send them to college, they become members of Congress, the fourth ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives, and they get to help the next person be elected president. That's what I want. And I, you know, when I when I prote- protested the Bakke decision at the federal court in San Francisco, I was, my first year at Stanford as a freshman member, I was all for it. You what know, was the Bakke decision? Oh, my gosh. See, Evan, you're too young. The Bakke <laughs> decision was the decision that said you cannot use quotas and racial-based uh, criteria in colleges to accept uh, students into, into college. That was the decision that started a change of affirmative action. And I was fighting because 
I knew I wouldn't be at Stanford without affirmative action. There were a lot of progressives, white progressives who were there fighting for, for people like me. And so it's interesting. Progressives have to fight for the ideal. But the difference between me and a progressive then is once I see that's all I can get, I'm not just going to let it all evaporate because I wanted to the perfect. I'm going to get something because I know Manuel and Maria Teresa Becerra are trying to get their kids to college. Fascinating. I think the biggest news of the day is that uh, young college students were protesting before social media. <laughs> yes. I'm amazed. Oh, yes. How did you do it? What, you didn't put anything on Instagram or you didn't tweet it? There's no hashtag? You know what? Even that, we we would buy those those, those disposable cameras because otherwise you wouldn't be able to have even a, a documentation of what you did. So you take that disposable camera, you take a few photos with you with that picket sign and your friends. And that was it. It's a different world. Take it down to the drugstore. <laughs> Congressman, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate this. It's been just a great conversation. Evan, thank you for everything you do. Everything you do. Everything I do. Everything. Everything. Literally everything. <laughs> I love how his reference is a disposable camera. Like, he's just young enough that that would be his, like, pop culture reference. Yeah. Because, like, those aren't that old. So Becerra outlined, I think, really well what progressives really want from politics these days. And we've actually learned a whole lot about that from this primary that's been just a big battle between the talk about progressives and uh, maybe sometimes moderates, but also just sort of establishment mainstream Democrats. So we should just like start with the top lines on this whole thing. What do you think that we learned from Democrat uh, learned about Democrats from this primary, Ruby? What do you think? I think it we will learn. I think we will know more about how real this divide is in the next few weeks. I think the 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 six weeks or whatever we have until the convention and how they play out and who does what and where his supporters move and whether they move will tell us a lot about what is actually happening in the party and how real this divide is and whether it's something that we're going to see uh, stick, stay, or get worse. Worse is, sounds like it's negative or, you know, get more intense mm-hmm. th- for the next cycle. Like this, like there's more of a demand for ideological purity that I don't think that there really was necessarily in the Democratic Party in such a big way before this election. That would be a different Democratic Party, I think, if that became more of a presence in the next four years or in the next eight years. Yeah, I mean, it seems like just pretty much directly that a, a large part of the Democratic establishment for a long time, I mean, a lot of them who backed Hillary in 2008 as well, Sort of had this notion that, you know, the, the 1990s, when Bill Clinton left office, I just was reading the other day, it was a day that was like Obama's top poll number in a long time, it was like 45% or something like that, uh, his approval rating. And the same day in 2000, Bill Clinton's approval rating was like 58%, like some exceedingly high number we can't even imagine now. Yeah. So a lot of Democrats looked at that stuff and had this idea that the 90s were this Democratic panacea, and they were just going to run on the idea of like, we're going to get those 90s back, folks. We're going to bring you those 90s back. And one thing I think that's been really fascinating about the Democratic primary this cycle is a lot of people were not too thrilled with bringing the 90s back. That was the talk about the trade stuff. Like, we don't want to do NAFTA again. Obviously, Black Lives Matter coming out with the, you know, we don't want to talk about the crime bill. We didn't like that. Welfare reform. All this stuff that actually I think that at the beginning of the process, it seems to me a lot of Democrats thought was going to be, hey, guys, remember Bill Clinton? Remember how it was? Remember the economy? Remember how great we were doing? Let's do that again. And then Bernie Sanders comes in and says, actually, that wasn't so great. And all of a sudden, a huge movement comes in behind him and starts talking about Wall Street and everything else that goes with that. I don't think a lot of Democrats un- like knew that that split was there as pronounced as it was. No, they had no idea. Hillary Clinton used to have a stump line that she no longer uses that much about. She, she used to go, 
What about the 90s do people not like? The peace or the prosperity? Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but yeah, she doesn't, um, she doesn't use that line anymore. And um, I don't think that anyone expected that like, Bill Clinton would have, a, have to be like on the trail, as popular as he is, defending the things that he did in the 90s. Two other Democrats. Two other Democrats. Right. His, some of his signature achievements, quote unquote. I mean, the crime bill, for as controversial as it is now and for all that it symbolizes now in terms of what is wrong with the criminal justice system, had the Brady Bill in it, had like the Violence Against Women Act, Women Act in it. All these things that are big Democratic achievements. Yeah. Which they talked about for years afterwards. Um, so what kind of candidate is Clinton after this battle with Bernie, do you think? What is she now? She's going to try to be a unifier. And... Maybe people won't find that as natural a role for Hillary Clinton as she wants, but she's going to try to bring everybody in the house, in the tent, bring some Republicans in, some independents, everyone on the hot pepper scale. <laughs> Hopefully, It reference. really is so handy, isn't it? It's No, this is it's super handy. This is how we'll communicate now. I love it. Um, so I think you're going to see her try to do that. How she tries to do it, again, I think we'll know if any of it can work in the next six weeks. But there is this bitterness that, 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 that does exist. I mean, I talked to a lot of Hillary supporters at these events too. And then the Hillary supporters were kind of ticked off by a lot of what Bernie people did. And they, they're, they're, they're not happy either, basically. So, there, so, there, so there's bitterness, especially among those younger supporters, I think. But there are also some real signs that everybody is ready to be friends too. There are plenty of Clinton supporters that I spoke with who talked really highly of Bernie and what he accomplished in the Democratic primary. Uh, here's one of them, David Chambers, who I caught up with at the back of Clinton's Get Out the Vote rally in Sacramento on Monday, the day before California voted. You know, I, I think I think the Bernie, I look at the Bernie um, Sanders supporters as my um, loving brother that always gets on my nerves every once in a while. You know, you can talk about anybody in my, don't talk about my brother because he's my brother. I can talk about him. I love him. We don't get along all the time. At the end of the day, guess what? We're family. That's how I see Bernie Sanders uh, supporters. Getting misty is so sweet. David Chambers. This is a Really sweet guy. He's ready to uh, bring these people back in and also I think he's, I think he respects their position. Yeah, at Hillary's rally on Tuesday night, her victory rally, she made a big point of th- of congratulating Bernie, applauding his supporters, and everyone in the room cheered. I do think that the way to look at this is Bernie supporters break down into two camps. There are those hardcore millennial Bernie bro types that are not ready to accept Clinton, and these longtime progressive activists who don't want the Bernie movement to fade away in a never-ending fight with Democratic establishment. Frankie Baines, who was at the Sanders rally in UC Davis, which is like this really, it was a really hot day. It was an afternoon rally, big college campus rally, classic Bernie rally, is one of those activists. I spoke with her about what the future looks like for Bernie Sanders. All the little states he's winning in, I think he like, he's like planting seeds, seeds about values and ideas about how we can create a world that's more just. And to me, that's just important enough. What are you looking for him to do? after the primary to keep this these seeds growing that you've mentioned. That's really, really interesting because like this takes money. Like all that he's doing takes money um, and it's time. I guess encourage us to pass it forward and continue to have these conversations. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but I don't know if he would start a movement or something, but 
some type of way to encourage us to continue to have these conversations. So maybe do use his Twitter game and to continue to update people on what's happening with progress, put ideas out there. I'm not sure, but get creative and, and get the young people moving and thinking and talking. So, look, the real elephant in the room of all this talk of Democratic splits and third party votes and the rest is the real elephant in the room, Donald Trump. Democrats of all stripes seem to me to be united that Trump cannot win the general election. Everywhere you go, they're like, Donald Trump cannot win. And Democrats are already like really pumped to run against Trump. Here is Jay Mosley, who I met at a Hillary rally, and he's actually like the broiest Hillary supporter I think you may ever meet. <laughs> Where did you get a Trump shirt? I went to the Trump rally and uh, kind of messed around with all the Trump people and started like making, I made signs and screwed with them the whole time. I trolled them and they spit in like my face and it was cool. I have one like this and the other one doesn't have an X, but I was walking through the line and the lady said, let me take your shirt off. And I was like, well, let's trade for a Hillary shirt. And she's like, I have a better idea. And we made a video on my Snapchat and she, this old grandma put a huge X on the shirt and then all the grandmas were coloring it in. So it's pretty cool. So you're having pretty much a, a lot of fun this election, it sounds like. I'm having a lot of fun, but I do think that it's the most hostile election I've ever seen in terms of people versus people. When I was in uh, high school, I could vote, and the Obama-Romney thing, everybody would just talk a ton of crap about Obama, but there's nothing along the lines of egg throwing or crazy like riots and then all this. I think Trump has really set up a movement, and it's not good. So are you afraid to go to a Trump rally again, or are you going to do it again? No, oh, oh, if he was going to have another one, I'd go for entertainment purposes. It's literally hilarious. The people there are so dumb. So, <laughs> this is so. When, <laughs> this is. Why don't we just do a show about bros? Bros. Let's just do a show about bros. So when, <laughs> I yeah. Anyway, the Jay stuff was great. Actually, the funny thing about Jay too was that he talked to me because I'm from BuzzFeed, and then he wouldn't give anybody else his name. <laughs> so I had like four photographers who were like, "Hey, man, give me his name." Bros. What bros. can you do? What can you do? <laughs> um. So. When we're thinking about whether or not Democrats come back together in the post-Bernie world, I think it's important to remember just how upsetting Trump is for Democrats. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think you have your choice of like 15 different reasons, like a menu of 15 options why he could be like deeply upsetting to a Democrat. So this actually came up in my interview with Congressman Becerra, and I actually really just want to play this clip because I think it illustrates so clearly how, for a lot of Democrats, the battle against Donald Trump is actually a really, really deeply personal one. So, Evan, uh, this may not surprise you some, but it's not a strange thing to have someone talk about you that way. And when he talked about Judge Curiel, he was talking about me. When he talked about those immigrants from Mexico being rapists and murders, he was talking about me. You know, he wasn't talking about me personally, but, you know, that that bullet came in my direction as well. And and if you've ever been the victim of someone's snide remark, someone's bigotry or prejudice, someone's racism, you, you know a bullet when you hear it whiz by your head. What Donald Trump has now said about a judge who earned his position is not just offensive. It's not just wrong. It's racist. And I take as much offense from the Republicans who are not willing to condemn Donald Trump and call it a spade for a spade, as I do Donald Trump. So let's sort of summarize. We've talked about a lot today. Let's sort of summarize what we got here. I think that we have heard about the Bernie supporters who are still very bitter about this primary that is over. 
it is over. We can say that. Yes. Hillary Clinton is the nominee of the Democratic Party. There are plenty of Bernie supporters who are still pretty upset by that. And there are some who appear that they're going to, or at least say today, that they're not going to vote for the Democrats in November because of it. Then we also have a lot of uh, Hillary supporters who are who have been sort of upset with the Bernie people at times, but are now ready to embrace them and, and, and want them back in the fold. They're not interested in having a party to split that they want to improve this split and bring them back in. But we also, as we mentioned, have the X factor of what Bernie Sanders is going to do and how he's going to what what role he's going to play in reuniting this. And then we also have Donald Trump who is doing a very good job of making Democrats, I think, feel like they have something to fight against that is unifying. So the question, I guess, at the end of the show is, when it comes to Democrats standing united in November, do we know anything? Not yet. Not yet? Not yet. We're waiting for Bernie. Waiting for Bernie. Ruby, it has been a joy covering this Democratic primary with you, and it has been pretty fun. No, no, it's been awesome having you on the show today. Thank you for coming in, and thank you for talking about uh, the Democratic primary on No One Knows Anything. Thank you. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer. If I were a pepper, I think I'd be your standard jalapeno. With editorial oversight from Catherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan. I think habanero and Komodo dragon chili pepper. Production help from Julia Furlan and Antonia Sarahito. Okay, Peppadu and Infinity Chili. Our music was composed by Beauty Pill. Ghost Pepper, definitely Ghost Pepper. Find us on iTunes, on Twitter, we're at BuzzFeed Paul, or you can email us at no one knows anything at buzzfeed.com. I'm your host, Evan McMorris Santoro, and we'll be back next week with more things we don't know. Now, Meg, please give me a good pepper. Mm, I think pimento.